Good morning and welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So I have chosen to read as an alternative to our gospel reading today, the assigned psalm for today, which happens to be Psalm 23. Glory to you, O Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're right. You prepare a table before the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here ends the psalm for today. Glory to you, O Lord. Let's begin our time of meditation together today with the Holy Spirit prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So obviously I didn't read the gospel text for today. Pastors have, uh, I guess we have the prerogative at times to pick and choose what passage or passages we will be preaching on, and it just so happens that this gospel text that was assigned for this Sunday is just one of those very, very difficult passages that I just didn't feel I wanted to spend a lot of time trying to decipher for you. And I know that the men's fellowship group that met on Tuesday would also concur and agree. So um, I, I, I feel as though I kind of got the blessing of the men's group on Tuesday that it was just one of those gospels that's a little bit difficult to really get true meaning behind it. And so I've, I've been drawn to this epistle lesson from Philippians today. And Philippians is one of those epistles that I have myself personally, I have drawn a lot of encouragement from the, the book of Philippians. As a matter of fact, I would say that if you look at that whole entire grouping of those shorter epistles, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, for me, those have been sort of my go-to epistles, letters, because number one, they're short. You know, they're only four or five chapters long. I believe one of the, one of, I think it's Galatians or Ephesians is six chapters long. But again, not real lengthy not the real heavy theological stuff, but at the same time, it has all kinds of words of encouragement about how we can live out our faith. And so Philippians is one of those epistle lessons that I have spent a lot of time in in years past. And I know I remember as a young person growing up in South Dakota when I was in high school, I, I think I've shared this with you before, that I was a part of an ecumenical youth group called the Shalom Singers, and we were kind of fanatical Jesus freak people back in the day. That's what we were called, and that's what we were labeled in high school. We were the Jesus people, kind of made fun of for it, actually, in many times. 
But we were kind of a dedicated gore group, and there was probably about half a dozen of us that, that actually got up early morning on Fridays every single week, and we would go down to Bain's Cafe in downtown Webster, South Dakota. And that, we'd have breakfast about 6 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd have a Bible study with the intern pastor that was there in town. And then we would jump in our cars after that, and we'd drive out to the nursing home, and we'd sing for all the residents at the nursing home while they were having breakfast. And then we would jump in our cars and drive to school, and we would actually make it back to school in time before the first bell. I guess we were pretty ambitious, pretty committed young Jesus people back then. This Shalom Singer group that I was a part of, we would oftentimes travel out to a variety of different worshiping communities around the rural America of Webster, South Dakota, and a lot of country churches. But we would oftentimes go out and lead worships. And one of the, one of the songs that we would oftentimes engage the, the congregation with when we start off our time of worship together was actually taken from this fourth chapter of Philippians. And we would sing around with the people in the congregation. And it simply went like this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. You heard that one, haven't you? Yeah, it's been around for a long time. But we used to energize the congregation with that. You know, we'd, regardless of number of people, like it would, it would be a country church with maybe this number of people. And, you know, but we'd still get out there faithfully and half the group would hear and half the group would be over there. And we'd start this half off starting singing, rejoicing the Lord. And then when they get into the first couple lines, then we start over here. And so you kind of had this chiming going back and forth. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, well, whatever. You get the idea. It was fun. You know, we were kids. We were high school kids. We were excited. You know, we had a passion for Jesus. And we wanted to share that passion for Jesus with the people that we were worshiping with. Just another little quick aside note. One of the things that I have used throughout my life is I've, I've used these little rhymes, little anacronyms to kind of help me with Scripture. And it just so happens that Philippians is part of what I call the GEP. GEPC group of epistles. Some people, I I was told last night that some people remember it as Go Eat Popcorn. I remember it as General Electric Power Corp. You know, so if you're ever confused about those four epistles and which ones come first, you just have to remember Go Eat Popcorn or remember General Electric Power Corp. You know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just, you know, it's kind of like that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold my horse till I get on. You ever heard that one? You had, yeah, I've, I've said that before, so you know. I've never said that before? I've shared it with our confirmation group. So, One of the themes that Paul references throughout the entire epistle is what I'm calling this faith component or this quality of faith, and he refers to it as joy or rejoicing. Joy, this whole reference to joy or rejoicing, it's mentioned a minimum of 13 times in this four short chapters throughout this letter to the people of Philippi. 13 times. And one of the things that I find interesting and encouraging 
is the fact that joy and rejoicing for Paul, it's not just a feeling or an emotion. Because I think when we think about joy and when we think about rejoicing, we, we, we want to somehow associate it with an emotion or a feeling. But that's not what it was for Paul. Joy and rejoicing for Paul has more to do with his state of mind. It has more to do with his confidence of faith that he has in Christ. It's because he has confidence of faith in Christ that he has joy in his life, that he has this spirit of rejoicing. It's because of that assurance that he has that Christ is always present in his life that he has this sense of joy. The real reason why he has joy is because of the relationship and the reality of Christ's presence and the promise in his life that Christ is present despite all, all circumstances and all obstacles in his life. You know, I, I, I think in, in many respects, ministry really hasn't changed a whole lot over the years, even from the time of Paul to now. You know, faith communities have always faced circumstances and challenges and obstacles, much like most churches to this day. And so I think we can get some encouragement from Paul uh, from that perspective, because one of the things that we sometimes forget is the fact that many of the letters that Paul wrote, and Philippians was one of them, is the fact that these letters, they were written by Paul from prison. We don't think about that too often, do we? I mean, think about it for a moment. How might we equate joy and rejoicing with the reality of being in prison? That's kind of a tough concept, isn't it? Kind of a tough thing to grasp, to think that a person can somehow have this sense of joy and this sense of rejoicing while he, they're imprisoned. And I can't imagine that prisons were very, very healthy places to be back in the time of Paul. I mean, come on, at least today our prisons have air conditioning and running water and, you know, three squares a day and all that kind of stuff. Well, I can't imagine it was even remotely close to that during the time of Paul. There's a, there's a professor of New Testament at Wartburg Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. His, his name is Troy Troftgruben. How would you like to have that name? Troftgruben. And he offers an interesting perspective on Paul's vision or Paul's state of mind about joy and rejoicing. And this is what he writes. He says, To see Paul doubly emphasize rejoicing, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. To see Paul doubly emphasizing rejoicing at this point, he says, is no surprise. And part of the reason why it's no surprise is because Paul has already mentioned the word rejoice or joy at least 12 other times before this. He says, what is remarkable to hear is that this is from an imprisoned man. And this means that his vision of joy and rejoicing is neither superficial nor short-lived. 
It is a kind of joy, it is a kind of rejoicing that is firmly anchored in the Lord. And that it's firmly anchored in the Lord for the long haul, despite all of the obstacles in his life. And I don't know, have you thought about that before? Have you thought about the times in your life when you have been dealing with some very significant issues, maybe perhaps some significant struggles in your life? You know, what is it in those times of significant struggle, what is it that has kept you going? Does it have something to do with your faith being firmly anchored in the Lord? Think about that for a while. Go back and think about those times in your life when you have struggled and had some significant challenges in your life. What was it that kept you going? And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, it's that the fact that we have kept, kept our life firmly anchored in the Lord. Now, now this insight that Professor Troy has just shared, this insight, at least for me, and I'm only speaking for me right now, but it's been helpful, and I, I hope that it's helpful for you because joy and rejoicing, I'm, th I'm talking about myself, joy and rejoicing is not something that I have commonly equated with my daily faith walk. If you, if, if you were to ask me about my daily faith walk, joy and rejoicing would not be a, a words that I would readily share with you. They're not things that just pop to my mind and say, oh yeah, because I have confidence in the Lord, because I have this sense of God's Christ's pre constant presence in my life, I have joy. I have a sense of joy and rejoicing. That's not a common thing for me. And part of that has to do with the fact that the question, and, and this is a question that I want you to think about and ask yourself and take some time to reflect on this. Does my life, does my way of living out my faith in Christ, does it reflect joy in Christ Jesus? Does my life reflect a way of rejoicing in the Lord? When was the last time you asked yourself that question? And I think it's a question worth wrestling with. And I think it's a question worthy of our consideration. Does my life and my way of living out my faith in Christ reflect joy? in Christ Jesus. And part of the question for me involves the reality that portions of my life, again, I'm only speaking for myself, but I can't help but think that you also have experienced the same thing, that the por portions of my life and the portions of the life of the people that I am in relationship with and that I have daily contact with is in this faith life is that portions of that life is encumbered with pain and struggle and fear. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people that I encounter on a daily basis. And much of the time, the people that I encounter, they are, they are experiencing pain and struggle and fear. And can I still, can I still have joy? And can I still have a sense of rejoicing in Christ even in the midst of pain and struggle and fear? And someone who's helped me with this question is a biblical scholar. His name is William Loder. He's actually an Australian theologian. Ah, down under, you know. Down there in the Australian down under world. And he offers this insight and he says this. He says, Paul's always rejoice in the Lord always. 
He says that Paul's always is not a quantitative assertion of the kind that implies that joy is every moment. He says joy is never alone. He goes on, he says, the companion to joy are pain and fear. And he says that at times in Paul's letters, he oftentimes displays more of one than the other. How many times when you read the Apostle Paul's letters do you actually experience or sense some kind of pain, some kind of struggle? And yet oftentimes at the same time when you hear and read the Apostle Paul's letters, you also see and you experience and you hear this sense of joy and rejoicing. He says at times Paul's letters displays more of the sum than the other. He says, Paul's sense of joy is not the absence of pain and fear, but it, it is the presence of Christ in whom he places his hope and trust. I don't know about you, but that really helps me. That helps me a lot when I think about my own walk of faith and whether or not I can truly have a sense of joy in my life, even in the, even in the midst of pain and struggle and fear. And if, if, and if what he is saying, if what he is saying, and I, I agree with him, and if I'm hearing him correctly, then I, I can say, and you can say, without reservation, that yes, I can have joy, and that I can have a sense of rejoicing in Christ, even in the midst of pain and struggle and fear. Because my joy and your joy is not the absence of pain or fear, but rather your joy and your sense of rejoicing comes because of the fact that you have the presence of Christ in your life in whom you place your hope and your trust. And I said this at the very beginning. I said the real reason why you and I have joy is because of the relationship and the reality of Christ's presence and promise in our lives. And that, for me, and, and I think that's where part of our problem lies in our church communities. I mean, ask yourself the question, and I know that this is not necessarily a Lutheran concept, but I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we hear that amongst a lot of our more ecumenical, charismatic uh, faith communities, but it's not necessarily a term that we use as Lutheran Christians. But in, in a certain sense, that is the reality that you and I, or at least we should have some time to really seriously think about this relationship, this, this presence of Christ in our life, this one in whom we place our hope and our trust. It is an ongoing, constant thing. And so what might that, or what does that look like for you and for me, this joy is a state of mind that is an assurance of the presence of Christ in whom we place our hope and trust. When you think about the presence of Christ, what does that mean or look like in your lives? And I want you to take some time, perhaps, this week. I'm not, no forced marches. That's the thing about faith. There's no forced marches. You know, y'all can take whatever I say today and just throw it out the window and go, okay, yeah, that was nice talk, pastor, but I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to really spend any more time reflecting or contemplating anything that you said today. But if you do, when you think about the presence of Christ, what does that mean? What does that look like in your life? Well, some of the basics for me is that it starts by 
reminding myself of the God of salvation history. I know, this sounds a little, this sounds, oh, this, is, this is just that Lutheran gab, you know. But for me, that's where it starts. It starts by reminding myself of the salvation history that I have a God in my life who's engaged in my life, who's there for me, who's constantly present. And that starts with a God who loved me and loved you so much that God came into the world in the incarnate person of Jesus. And he came to bring the kingdom of God near to us so that we might see and that we might experience and that we might come to have a sense of what it means to be people of God. He came to show us how to live and to love. If you want to know how to live in love, look at the Bible. If you want to know how to live in love, look at Jesus. He came to show us the way of humility and servanthood. And he also came with one other very fundamental purpose, and that was he came here to take on death, to take on death itself and to overcome death in the grave so that you and I can not only have this abundant life here on earth while we still have this breath within our being, but we can also have a, an eternal relationship with God even after this earthly vessel passes on. That we can share in that same resurrection and hope. And he gave us, and he gave us a command he gave us a command to go into the world and to baptize. And through that gift of baptism, that eternal covenant promise was given to us and that we were given a name. And that name is child of God. And all that was done by Jesus. And of course, one of the other most important things that he did was he also promised us that we'd have the Holy Spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit that continually reminds us day in and day out that we have the assurance of the presence of Christ in our life in whom we place our trust and our hope. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he goes on, he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And in everything, through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to join me now as we pray together the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Go in peace. Share the good news.